Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Rachel Scott. Rachel's a third-year high school English teacher, newspaper advisor, and volleyball coach who loves teaching and still wants the option to retire early someday. She uses her platform, Teachers Talk Money, to help other teachers master their money in order to give back to themselves. In this episode, Rachel and I take a deep dive into financial planning for a career change. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Hi, Daphne. I'm so excited to be here. For everybody who's listening, I just wanted to start off with just kind of a brief introduction of who you are and uh, what you're passionate about. Yeah, sure. So, My name's Rachel Scott. I can be found anywhere on Teachers Talk Money. That's my handle on Instagram and YouTube. And my goal is to help teachers just know their options and realize that financial abundance is something that's possible for us, even though it seems like something that there are just too many obstacles towards because we make such limited salaries and, of course, have such limited time. So I'm a teacher. I This is my third year teaching English and I sponsor the newspaper and I also coach some sports at my school and I absolutely love it, but I know it's not what I want to do forever. So personally, I am seeking financial independence in order to be able to retire early someday. But for the time being, I love teaching, love my job, um, and I just get really excited about helping teachers manage their money. So you're actually currently still in the classroom right now, right? Yes. And what types of proactive measures have you been taking to set yourself up for financial independence? That's a great question because there's a lot of pieces to it. I would say that the primary goal for anyone who's interested in financial independence or who really is just interested in self-care when it comes to your money and being able to take care of yourself and work towards your goals The first step is always to keep a budget, which is like the most unthrilling, least sexy sounding thing that I could possibly tell you to do. 
but despite budgets getting kind of a bad rap, it has been the biggest thing in turning around my money mindset and also helping me get towards my goals. Because I don't know about any of the listeners, but I have never reached a goal by accident in my life ever. I've always needed to make a plan. And what a budget is, is just essentially a plan for your money. And all of your future goals, or at least most of your future goals, are going to be at the very least related to what state your finances are in. So I really can't stress enough the importance of a budget. And keeping a monthly budget has been the biggest thing for me in order to even just know how much I have available to save know what other goals I already have enough saved for, and of course, pay off debt rapidly, which is something I did in my first year teaching, and eventually get into investing, which is the most important opportunity when it comes to actually growing your money. I personally struggled with paying my own rent on my teaching salary. I I 100% remember how hard it is living almost paycheck to paycheck. And I was, you know, teaching for three years. I had a master's degree, but I still could barely afford my rent in Los Angeles. And that's, you know, unfortunately a reality. I have so many teachers who reach out on a daily or weekly basis that just say, I'm struggling so much that I need therapy, but I can't afford the copay. These are the people that I'm giving the advice just to make sure you have all your bases covered. You need to have, you know, three months or six months worth of savings if you are breaking your contract at the end of this year and you're looking for new work just to make sure that you're safe. That's what the safety net suggestion is. But how can I ask someone who's living paycheck to paycheck to set a budget where they can actually save that amount? Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, that is so real. That is so accurate to many teacher situations because as we know, it's just absolutely a disgrace how little teachers get paid. I was looking at the national average, and the most recent one was something around 61K on average for all teachers, which sounds kind of good to me because I don't make that much yet <laughs> as an early educator. But when you look at the cost of living on average, it's a couple thousand dollars higher than that. And that's for a family with two kids. And I think about all of the single parent teachers I know or all of the teachers that I know that are single income earners and are supporting a family with children. And the fact that they dedicate so much of their lives to really doing a public service and being excellent educators and working so hard to teach children and they don't make enough to support their own family, or even if you don't have children, maybe to pay your rent or to get mental health care or regular health care. It's honestly a disgrace. And I never want to ignore that that's the reality. I feel like it's really annoying when people just talk about the opportunities that we have and sort of ignore all of the barriers for which for teachers, there are so many time and salary. Um, so that being said, we do need to focus on what we can control in some ways. And so when it comes to saving that amount for your emergency fund, whether or not you want to leave the classroom, because every teacher should have a, an emergency fund for other emergencies that come up or in case something happens. I mean, your administration could change overnight and suddenly you're going to be asked to do things that are not in your job description or you've never had to do before or you're uncomfortable with or take even more of your time. So everybody needs to have that cushion in place. Um, 
whether or not you're planning to leave. So the first thing I would say to anyone who is struggling with living paycheck to paycheck, which is also not just teachers, that is most Americans, to be fair, but it's just really unfair that educators also have to deal with this given the nature of our careers. Um, I would say that the first step you need to do is keep a monthly budget because most of the time those teachers are avoiding money because it's so stressful and because it's so hard and because they feel like they don't have enough of it. And in some cases, you may actually have an income problem and you may not have enough of it. And if that's the case for you, then I highly recommend a career change where you could make more income. So the very first step would be to keep a budget. And that just means, and there are so many different strategies for this, I want to take this time, I think, to point people to my YouTube channel just because I go over a really, really simple way of doing this, and I want it to be as simple and easy to get started as possible for everyone. But what a budget essentially is, is you know how much income you make, you know exactly how much money is coming in, and then you designate places for that money to go. Part of that is knowing your fixed expenses, so your rent and your bills and all of the things that are the same every month. And then the other part is knowing your variable expenses, which is saying, okay, I'm only going to spend $300 on groceries this month, and I can afford that um, and also spend this much on clothing or dining out or whatever those categories are for you. So the reason that I differentiate between fixed expenses and variable expenses is because that simplifies it in terms of what you actually need to track. So when your expenses are the same every month, you don't need to track them. You might need to pay attention to when you're paying the bills based on when you get paychecks, but you're not going to have to track every expense because it's the same each and every month. Whereas with your variable category, you know that every time you go to the grocery store, you need to add that into your variable expenses. Um, So there's really two parts of budgeting. One is setting up the ideal numbers. And then the second part is tracking to see how close you are to those numbers. And it's really a trial and error at first because you're kind of making guesstimates as to what, how much you spend on your different variable expenses, but that's okay. A budget shouldn't be like set it and forget it. It is a living and breathing thing that's going to change each and every month. A lot of people will start budgeting and then they'll go over budget for groceries that month and then feel really discouraged when really that might just be showing you that you need to plan to spend more in groceries that month or maybe that's something you need to pay attention to cutting back. So really those places where you're not close to your estimates are just showing you where you maybe need to adjust the numbers. So once you have your income, your fixed expenses, and your variable expenses, you can then see what amount is left over to save, which I would say saving for your emergency fund would be goal number one. Um, Pay off debt, which especially with high interest debt, that would probably be the second priority after having your emergency fund. And then finally, to invest, which is something that I recommend doing as soon as you have your high interest debt paid off and your emergency fund built up. So really what it's showing you is, is there left money left over after you've accounted for all of your necessary and the expenses each month that you actually just want to spend money on because you shouldn't just be spending on needs? Um, And then if you don't have any money left over after those different categories, that's highlighting that you probably have, in some cases, a spending problem, but in most cases, it's actually an income problem. A lot of us think, 
well, I'm just spending too much and I'm just bad with money and I'm a spender. Whereas the issue might actually just be that you're not making enough money. So it's one of those two problems. And I think that it's important to kind of identify which one that is for you. Yeah, I I think a lot of times, those are all really great points. I think a lot of times people get so afraid to look because yeah. they're afraid to actually admit what's going on. And the yes. income problem is one of the biggest ones. I mean, they know that it's a problem, but when they start to really think about it, um, I think it's so triggering and it's so stressful that it's it's really hard to even get into budgeting or looking at your income because it is depressing to think, no, this is what I'm working with. I try to teach a lot of course members and other teachers that I talk to just about my like money mindset of the only thing that we don't have is an, an infinite amount of is is time. But yeah. when it comes to saving two or three dollars, when it comes to even buying their own teaching supplies, you know, teachers will spend three, four hours <laughs> driving across town to go buy something that's on a budget or yeah. creating their own resources that take them four hours or six hours when they could be investing that time into even creating their own income through tutoring or creating passive income on building digital curriculum and just, you know, buying the thing that costs $2 more or buying the thing that costs $3 more, but focusing that energy on either their own priorities or, or yeah. building some sort of passive income. Do you have any advice in that capacity? Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because so many teachers fall into what I kind of consider the trap of frugality, which sounds a little counterintuitive because a lot of people who talk about personal finance identify as frugal. I was raised in a household that was very frugal and frugality was definitely seen as a virtue. But what I see a lot from the household I grew up in and from teachers a lot is that they get so excited about sales. They get so excited about spending less money on something than they had before or couponing or whatever the deal is, but they still ignore the fact that they should be having a plan for their money, or in other words, keeping a monthly budget. So they think, well, I don't make a lot, so I have to cut costs wherever I can. But it in itself is one of those avoidance behaviors in a way, because what they're essentially saying is, I'm spending as little money as I possibly can on these things that I need to buy. And therefore, I'm doing everything I can. There's nothing more I can do. When in reality, having the monthly budget and the plan for your money is what's actually going to move the needle. And those two or three dollars that you saved on that thing for your classroom are not going to move the needle. So I really like to highlight the idea of having a plan, aka keeping a budget. Again, not sexy sounding, not super fun, but so important for reaching your goals um, especially when you don't make a lot of money. And I don't emphasize the idea of just trying to cut costs wherever you can, because a lot of times that's a band-aid on what the real issue is. What are some examples besides, you know, groceries that you've seen people actually cut from their budget or focus on and see some really real um, impactful results from? When it comes to cutting expenses? Yeah. That's a great question. 
I mean, I think in general, and this is more of a personal opinion because I'm really of the belief that like, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do with their money, especially when it comes to cutting expenses, because I'm more of a fan of allowing people through a budget to spend on the things that are really important to them. That being said, I am an advocate of being a very intentional consumer, meaning I don't buy things all the time. A lot of times I wait 24 hours before I purchase something, especially if it's like an online or an impulse purchase. And that really helps me. I also limit the number of companies I buy from because I don't purchase things from companies that have unethical practices and things like that. So I really just believe in being incredibly mindful in whatever it is you're spending your money on and making sure that that's something that's truly going to add a lot of value to your life versus just trying to cut costs on every single thing. I don't know that I can say I've really seen anyone move the needle that much by just saving money. Because like I said, so much of it comes down to having an intentional plan. And then throughout that plan, being very intentional at the grocery store, very intentional with your clothing purchases, um, and any of those other sort of discretionary purchases, which I still support, because you shouldn't, again, like I said, you shouldn't just be spending on the absolute necessities and not be able to buy the things that are maybe more in the wants category, but they'd still add a lot of value to your life. So I can't say that I've really seen anybody move the needle from just buying stuff on sale. So from going from purchasing expensive cardigans to cheaper cardigans, has it really changed their life? I love love the 24-hour suggestion. I don't know where I picked that up also, but that's something that I have to practice where I put things in a shopping cart, especially clothing for myself, and then I sit on it for 24 hours and I think, do I have dresses that already look like this dress? Oh, I sure do. Why haven't I worn those for five years. Why don't I try those dresses on and then see if this dress is still a necessity at the end of the day. And that's always really been super helpful for me with my own spending. I personally, you know, I had to hire a bookkeeper just so that I was able to see what I was spending in my own business. And that's somewhere that I've always really thought that I was frugal and I thought that I had a good control of everything. But I was just eyeballing it and sitting down and realizing there is, even in my personal life, so much that I just spend on without being intentional and thoughtful about it. And I do love that you focus on only supporting businesses that you find ethical. We have also done similar things in our own household. So I really appreciate you touching on that point. Just to pivot a little bit, the second thing that a lot of teachers always ask is if they've been in teaching for a longer period of time, 10 years, 14 years, that's that middle ground where it's a little bit rocky to just walk away from a career because when they look at their retirement fund, it you know, if they stay for 20 years, maybe they vest fully into their retirement and they're not quite sure what they would do with their new retirement at a different company, if, if it would match. And when it comes to making these decisions, it's, they're scary and they really impact their life. 
do you have any advice for how teachers who are in that middle ground can start creating their own retirement or their own side 401k um, or SEP IRA to help supplement yeah. like that gap? Yeah, definitely. So we have a quite a few retirement options as teachers. We all have 403Bs available to us. So there's that. There's also the pension that most of us are required to add into. I would definitely say for anyone listening, don't just rely on the pension because A, whether or not you actually get the interest on that really depends based on your district on how many years you're there and how old you are and all of those factors. And so Definitely read the fine print on the pension and don't just rely on the pension because they are also underfunded in most states. So that's my note about pensions, but that is super specific to different districts. So make sure you just kind of read the fine print if you're thinking of walking away. Because if you're at year 14 and you have to be at year 15 in order for that to vest, like that's something you want to know. Um, and I'm guessing that there's probably somebody in your district who can answer those questions for you as well based on your what your actual district is. So there's the pension, there's the 403B and 457 options. Some of us have a 457 available. Those are great because they come right out of your paycheck. They usually will have good low cost funds within them. Um, but not always. So I would say if you're thinking about getting started compare the funds that are available within your 403b you can literally just like find the fund name and google it and it will tell you if how that fund costs in relation to other average funds of a similar structure with those funds they're investing with their own teacher salary it's coming out just kind of similar to the pension but when they start to consider walking away from teaching is that something that they can continue to add their new salary into oh in most cases you can roll it over to whatever your new employers is yeah and if not you can just start a new one with your new employer and leave the stuff you've already invested sitting in there for sure yeah um, so there's that. And then I do just want to note that 457s, if they have similar fund options to your 403Bs, are an awesome retirement vehicle because you can actually withdraw that money penalty free before retirement age, which is 59 and a half. And you can't do that with a 403B. So if you have the same funds in both, I would suggest in most cases prefer the 457. Because if you want to take out the money from your 403B early, you're going to get hit with a really heavy penalty in most cases. When it comes to actually asking someone for advice at the district, would that be HR or would you need to go specifically to whoever manages the retirement accounts? Who would have, who would be the best point of contact to actually ask questions? Yeah, that's a complicated question because some of the vendors and companies for these retirement accounts are obligated to work in your best interest and some are not. Uh, some will try to put you with direct you to funds that have higher fees because that's more advantageous for them. So I would start with somebody in your district first, just because 
the people at the level of the company that owns like the 403B and the 457 may not have your best interest in mind. And you can also, if you do have the income available to hire a financial advisor, if you hire one that has a fiduciary duty, which means a duty to act in your best interest and not theirs, just remember the word fiduciary. It's a weird word, so it should be able to remember it pretty easily. Um, They will give you objective, unbiased advice. Um, So in addition to your pension and your employer-sponsored retirement plans, those are your 403Bs, 457s, everybody has the option of opening up an individual retirement account or an IRA, or some people call them IRAs. (laughs) Um, And those are great. You can contribute up to $6,000 a year for most people and a little bit more if you're above a certain age, but I don't remember what that age is right now. Um, So that's a really great option because you can just pick a fund that historically has performed well, or you can use a robo-advisor. I recommend any robo-advisor with low or no fees. SoFi is really good. They don't have any fees. Um, And they will do all of the investing trades for you. So you don't really have to have that much knowledge to get started. So you can get started, start investing in those IRAs. And then as you go, you can sort of learn more and decide if you want to move to a lower fee robo advisor or move it to an account with somebody like Vanguard or Fidelity where you can choose the funds within that IRA yourself. I personally have been using Betterment and I'll cut this mm-hmm. out if that's terrible, but No. Uh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I personally have been using Betterment. I just don't want anyone to ever hear that word if it wasn't something that you would advise. And that was a company that I found that would basically I could set up and roll over all of my 401k and all of my um, teacher retirement. Because when I left, I hadn't vested into my retirement at all. So it really didn't matter where that money sat. And it would be easier for me to just roll it over and have it in all one spot. um, Because I didn't plan on going back into the classroom or back into the um, into the education system within California. So I knew I wouldn't ever really vest into it. So there was no reason to keep it within their retirement, it'd be easier for me to find later if it was all in the same spot. When I moved it over, I had the option to start what's called a self-employed or a SEP IRA. And that's even higher than 6,000. I'm actually able to, as I create passive income, I started off just selling digital curriculum on Teachers Pay Teachers. I started to put a lot of my income from Teachers Pay Teachers into a SEP IRA to help really cushion and make me feel comfortable with my finances because if I was self-employed or if I was an independent contractor or working as a freelancer, I wanted to still have that peace of mind. And one thing that I think teachers are really looking for is they need the comfort to make sure that they're able to make decisions. And if they are backed into a corner financially, that's when they stay in situations where they don't feel happy. Being being able to know I'm not financially dependent on this specific job and I can take a $5,000 pay cut for something that makes me happy or I can walk away and start freelancing, which is my dream to be a freelance copywriter or a graphic designer, but I'm so scared to make that leap. 
yes, you need to be careful. You 100% need to know what you're doing and have a plan for it, but it is possible. Yeah. And I think I, I love that you mentioned Betterment because that's one of those robo advisors where they will choose the funds and make the trades for you. So there's really not that much knowledge based barrier to entry. I would say the only thing to look at when you're looking for a robo advisor to use is just check the fees. And Betterment is a really good low fee option. Um, I previously was investing with a company called Wealth Simple for my Roth IRA. And they had really high fees and I wasn't aware of it. And it was fine. Like, it's more important that actually that you get started investing, even if it's not the most optimal way to invest. And then you can always move that money somewhere else when you learn more. So I'm a fan of people just getting started and then making adjustments along the way and not being so caught up in, oh, but how do I find the fee structure and what are funds and all of this stuff? Like, I want you to have a basic understanding and then get that advanced understanding after you've already taken some actions to invest. The only thing I would not recommend anybody get started doing is investing in single stocks. So using Robinhood or other day trading accounts to buy and sell individual stocks from individual companies, that's a lot more risky than what investing through a retirement vehicle actually is. Um, and it's kind of sad because that's what so many people think investing is. They're like, oh, I need to be invested in the stock market. That means I need to buy and sell GameStop or Apple or whatever that company stock is. When in reality, through these retirement vehicles, like your 403B or your IRAs, you invest in a fund, which is like a group of stocks. So it's much, much more risk averse and you still see your money grow over time. So I personally don't like to give too generic of advice because everybody's on their own timeline, they're on their own journey, they have unique situations and unique factors, but that is what people want. You know, they need to hear some sort of blanket generic advice. As far as budgeting goes, how much would you just recommend not knowing any other factors that people try to put percentage wise towards one, a savings fund, and then two, towards their own retirement of some sort, whether it's through one of these different accounts or just investing in their own retirement just to give them some more um, stability for their future. So if you're just getting started with budgeting, I would recommend putting aside whatever is left over after you've taken care of your fixed and variable expenses for your other goals. And that could be saving, investing, or debt payoff in a lot of cases too. So I would say just start with what you can, because I want, I'm just trying to give people the lowest barrier to entry possible, especially for teachers, because we don't have a lot of time and we don't have a lot of money we're working with. So lowest barrier to entry, do what you can with that money that's left over. And then you can start playing with what are my opportunities to earn more? How can I get to that highest lane on the salary scale so that I have more left over to put towards those goals? You can start playing with, are there places where I'm not really spending intentionally and I could maybe lower my expenses in some cases? Um, so start with what you can and don't worry about the percentages. But if you're at a place where you're living pretty comfortably and you're just looking for some me to throw out some numbers that you can use as a benchmark, I can do that too. And that would definitely be whatever it takes to 
get your at least three month emergency fund and that's three months of expenses. So it doesn't have to be your full salary for three months, just what you need to cover those fixed and variable costs for three months or six months if you want a little bit more security. I don't think teachers need that as much because we do have pretty good job security. So the emergency fund tends to be just if you want to make a career transition or if a non-income loss emergency comes up. So three months is probably okay. And then if you want to beef it up from there, you can go ahead and do that, whatever makes you comfortable. And then percentage-wise for investing, usually 15% is a really good goal for a lot of people. If you invest 15% right into your employer-sponsored plans or your IRA, if that is a better option, if you have better funds available through that. So, but either way, don't be like, how do I know if I don't know the funds are good and my investment accounts? Like, get started first and then learn the nitty gritty as you go along. So 15% is a good benchmark, but as with everything, you want to have your goal in mind first and then sort of backwards map just like you would for lesson planning in the curriculum, right? So for me, I want to retire early, so before 59 and a half, and that means that I'm putting aside a lot more than 15% because that's my goal. So while I can give sort of a general benchmark that's a good idea for just like blanket group of people, work with your goals first and then backwards map how much of your income that's going to take for you to reach that goal. One thing that's really helped me with budgeting, and especially as I made that transition from teaching into my very first job was an independent contractor job that didn't have additional benefits. It was fantastic work-life balance, but there was a bit of fear of, okay, now I need to get my crap together and figure out how I'm going to actually make sure I have a retirement, make sure that I have six months fun, make sure that I feel comfortable with this as a long-term possibility. One thing that I learned that was really great was to hide my own money from myself. And I didn't do a percentage (laughs) at all, but I basically had one checking, one savings that was you know, this is my fixed and variable expenses come from here. But I just hid my own money into a checking or savings account that I did not look at. And I had it regularly taking it out. And that's where my first six month emergency fund came from. That's where I realized, okay, if I don't see my money, I don't spend it as often. (laughs) So if I look right now, I think I have legit like less than $500 in my checking account that I look at often where everything else is hidden for a house down payment that I don't realize I have. So I see that 500 and I'm like, do I want some vegan takeout tonight? Well, I only have this much money for the next few months. Maybe we'll just go to the grocery store or like, yeah, (laughs) it, it very much helps keep me in check. And I forget that the money is there. So I think having your checking and savings account kind of hiding the big picture from you is a really good mindset adjustment that you can make. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that sort of like savings and life hack of hiding your money from yourself because it's so important. A lot of people really love automation. So many people will sort of may or may not keep a budget, but they know, well, I'm not going to, I don't actually need to spend this much. So I'm just going to automatically have my bank account every time I get a paycheck, take $300 and put it into my savings. And 
I think it's a great tool. I think it tends to be a better tool for people who don't keep a budget and just like want that quick savings hack, which I think honestly, like if that works for you, I'd rather you do that than like try and fail to keep a budget. That being said, I, my goal for everybody is to let them know that like you can be so dialed in on your finances. You don't, you're not just quote unquote bad with money. Like so many teachers have this like fixed mindset to use some teacher talk about their money. And they're like, I'm just a spender or I'm just bad at this. And I just want to empower you to know that like you can be really good at this and be super dialed in and on top of it. And you can still use the hack of hiding money for yourself. I love that my retirement contributions come right out of my paycheck because I don't even have to think about that. That being said, I still have a plan for all of the money that's coming in. And I don't like to automate my other savings because sometimes things change and I don't want to... A lot of times I tried automation early on and if I would go over budget or there'd be an unexpected cost in the month, I would have to take money from my savings account. And that was so demoralizing to me because then I was feeling like I did something wrong or I tripped up or I'm a failure or I'm bad at money, which are were all lies, obviously. But... For me, automation wasn't the best in a lot of cases, but I could still be dialed in and really good with my money. So that's definitely, I think, a personality thing and a situational thing. But so many people love that. That's what my partner does. He just sends enough money to max out his Roth IRA and then he doesn't really worry about the rest of his income, which isn't what I would recommend. But it's what works for him and makes sense for him. And it's going to meet his goals. So nobody can tell you really what exactly you need to do or what those goals are. Um, And it's sort of just important to, based on your personality, determine what the next kind of best steps are. Well, Rachel, I know that there was one topic that I'd love to have you come back on and talk about in the future, which is how teachers could actually start to put a plan together to potentially retire early. But unfortunately, we don't have enough time. So where can teachers find you right now if they want to follow you and find out more about anything to do with retirement and budgeting? Yes. So a couple different places. The best place to get the nitty gritty teacher focused information from me right now would be my YouTube channel, which is just called Teachers Talk Money. And I have videos about how to retire early as a teacher, how to save your emergency fund, and how much do you even need in an emergency fund. I talk about um, sinking funds or savings accounts. I talk about how to budget. I actually share my numbers and go through my budget and my net worth every single month. So if seeing those physical numbers is something that's going to be helpful, actionable, or inspiring to you, definitely go to my YouTube channel. I also share a lot of my journey on Instagram at Teachers Talk Money, and I'm going to be launching a podcast with my partner in crime, Christy, from Financially Fit Teacher. That's her handle on Instagram, and also her website is financiallyfitteacher.com. And we partnered together because I'm a millennial high school teacher. She's a Gen X elementary school teacher. We teach on different sides of the country. And we just are getting together because we're both super passionate about helping teachers master their money and being able to give back to themselves in that way. And we'll be launching a podcast coming out on March 25th. So check that out as well. It's going to be called Teachers Talk Money and it's going to be available everywhere. Oh, I'm so excited to tune in and I'll subscribe to it first thing when it comes out. (laughs) And thank you once again so much. This was such a great and informational packed 
episode. So I know people are going to be really excited to connect with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I want to give a special thanks to Rachel for coming on and sharing so much great information with the teacher career coach community. Make sure to check out her podcast, Teachers Talk Money, to hear more financial advice specifically made for teachers. You'll find this episode's transcripts linked in the show notes if you want to review any of the information that was discussed. As always, please continue to help share this podcast with others who are looking for this type of support, and don't forget to rate and review. I'll see you on the next episode.